Generation Church, based in the beautiful Rex Theater in the heart of downtown Pensacola, Florida. Our hope is that today's teaching will encourage and equip you to be firm in faith, to fulfill the call of God in your life, and to finish well. Grab your Bible, open up your notes app, and let's dive in. The Parable of the Talents, God's Word. For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came, and they settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thank you, Michelle, for the reading of God's Word. Good morning, everyone. Um, As Pastor Brian mentioned, we have uh, been in this series called Entrusted, where we look specifically at this passage of Scripture, the parable of the talents, and focus on different responsibilities that we have been entrusted with to be good stewards over um, God's creation and what He has been, uh, what He has given us. Now, before we um, dive more specifically about um, the, the area I want to focus on today, I want to give you a little bit of background uh, behind the parable of the talents so that you understand more fully the context in which Jesus was um, saying these things that we've just read. Now, in Matthew 24, if you go back a little bit, uh, Jesus is talking about the end of times. And as he's talking about the end of times, he's focusing on different signs that we should be attentive to 
and uh, he's focusing, of course, on the return of a king. Now, we live in a period, in a, in a season that we call the now and the not yet. Jesus has been instating, installing the kingdom of God when he came to earth for the first time. He announced the kingdom. He enacted the kingdom for his miracles uh, by dying on the cross. He, he rose from the dead, ascended to heaven. And as he went to heaven, he promised, of course, uh, his return. And we'll live in this tension of, yes, we've experienced the kingdom through the coming of Jesus, but we haven't experienced the fullness of the kingdom because the king has not returned yet. So we live in the now and the not yet. And this tension, we feel it through being exposed to sicknesses, uh, brokenness, uh, different uh, problems that the nature has. And it is frustrating at times. But the real calling for us today is to know how to behave, how to be good stewards in that season, in that tension of a now and a not yet. And uh, as Jesus is explaining the, um, his return and the meaning of the kingdom of God, he's giving that wonderful parable of the talents as a mean to make it clear to us, his disciples, the people of God, that as we wait for his return, because the context of the parable is really the waiting of his return, how are we supposed to behave with what he has given us? How are we supposed to be good stewards of our different areas that we've been entrusted with as we wait for him to come back and make his kingdom fully established on a new heaven, a new earth? And that's really the backdrop behind the parable of the talents. Now, there are numerous interpretations over the exact meaning of a parable, and uh, the majority of scholars would ag agree that the allegorical approach is the right one, meaning that the servants are the disciples and the master is uh, Jesus. And of course, I think that the meaning of a parable reaches way uh, beyond the financial responsibility, although that's part of it. I was reading this week a, uh, an article from the Tyndale Publishing House where a scholar was arguing that the talents is a reference to our knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And the reason why he is arguing for that approach to the interpretation of the parable is because there is a verbal repetition that we see in Matthew 13, um, verse 12. If you turn your Bible with me to Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to read that verse that has the same language that's been used in the parable of the talents. Matthew 13. Verse 12 says this, For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. Now, notice here that that same language is used in Matthew 25 uh, in the parable of the talents. To the one who has, more will be given this idea of stewardship. But more than stewardship, it's referring to the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. If you read a little bit before in that same passage, in verse 10, Matthew 13, then the disciples came and said to him, to Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, to the rest of a crowd who was not leaning in, who had not been given that revelation, it has not been given. 
Again, verse 12, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. This is a really wonderful uh, repetition um, that Jesus is really using in his teaching to make it plain for us that as we enter into a relationship with him and we are born again by the wonderful action of the Holy Spirit, we are given access to certain secrets. Now, the secrets are really the revelation of who God is and the rules of the kingdom of heaven. And all the parables that Jesus is using as powerful stories are a means to tell us this is how it works in the kingdom of heart. Uh, in the kingdom of God. This is how you should live your life in the kingdom of God. There are certain rules because he is a king. He has transfer, transferred us into his kingdom. Therefore, we should know how it works in the kingdom of God. And uh, when we have a knowledge, we have no more excuse, right? Now we know. Uh, I was using that example in the first service. If you were to park somewhere and you had no idea it was not free parking and you get a ticket, you feel bad, but in a sense, you didn't know. So it's kind of an excuse for, man, I lost $10 so $20. But if you knew you had to pay and you chose not to pay, really you acted foolishly because you were really not good stewards over your money because you, kn you knew you had to pay and you were taking a risk by not um, honoring the law and paying for your parking. And the reality is that in the kingdom of God, once we are given the knowledge of the secrets of um, how it works in the kingdom of God, we have no more excuses. Now we know. Now we know. What really is our calling is to use that knowledge to bring fruitfulness into our lives, into this world. And how you're going to bring about this fruitfulness is really the meaning of this series, Entrusted. We've been entrusted with finances. We've heard about it through Pastor Adam last week. And today I want to focus on relationships. Now, the human problem that uh, we see displayed in this parable of the talents is really the fear of the servant. The servant who came to his master and in response to the question of what he had done with what had been entrusted to him says, I was afraid because I knew you, you were a hard man, so I, I dug a hole in the ground and I hid what you had given me. He is so paralyzed by fear that he chose passivity. And often for us as disciples, even when we have a knowledge about the secret of the kingdom of heaven, we choose fear. We choose to not do anything rather than taking a risk. Because being a good steward over what God has given us includes taking a risk sooner or later. Wherever you've received um, money, wherever you've received specific gifts, a career, job, certain relationships, sooner or later you'll have to take a step of faith and you'll have to trust God and use what he has given you. But fear will be a major obstacle to using what God has given you. And this is what we see in the parable. He was afraid, and so he chose not to go forward. Now, I've talked to so many students uh, in my life, especially university students who are about to choose a, a big career, a job, or really a, a, the main trajectory of their lives. And often... What they tell me is that they have a sense of calling. They have a sense of where God is kind of calling them to go, but they want the specifics. They want the details. 
And they're also afraid to make a mistake, so afraid to not uh, have the resources, to not know exactly how to go about putting that uh, calling into practice. So they choose to step back, choose a different job, choose to stay home. And the basic answer is like, I'm just waiting for God's will to be revealed to me. And that's really a typical excuse to uh, cover our fear and our anxiety and our stress over what should be so simple because we know what we're supposed to do. And sometimes it just takes a step of faith to know the rest of um, the mission that God is really giving us. Now, the divine solution that the passage is giving us is the knowledge of a master. Knowing your master. Just know your master. Because the thing is, it's so interesting how Jesus is... uh, painting that picture of a master as someone who is hard, someone who will um, rip where he hasn't sown. He's painting the opposite picture of who Jesus is as a person because we know based on the scriptures and the stories that Jesus had already told to his disciples that he is meek, that he is humble at heart, that his yoke is easy, that he's gentle. And of course, that makes sense when we read that parable that the servant chose fear and chose passivity because he didn't know the master. He didn't know the character of Jesus. He didn't know that uh, the master was a joyful master. And we have that wonderful promise in the parable of the talents where the master is inviting the servants to enter his joy. And as you consider what God has given you, what you have in your hands. The first step to really go forward with that entrusted aspect is to know the joy of your master. Do you know the master? Do you have, have you experienced his joy, the joy of partnering with him into this wonderful mission in the world? Joy is part of a process, part of his character. Now the human response that we should have in regards to this parable is to be good stewards. We've talked about finances last week, and today we are focusing on relationships. And when we talk about relationships, we need to understand that it's in a fabric of creation. If you look at Genesis and the first human beings who were evolving on the earth, they were given that responsibility, that stewardship over their relationships. We see that with Cain and Abel. Um, Cain and Abel were brothers, Abel um, had offered an offering that was favorable to God. Cain didn't like how God was looking favorably over his offering and uh, the offering of his brother, not his. So he jumped on his brother, killed him. And then we have that uh, really moving passage where God is going to Cain and asking him, Hey, Cain, where is your brother? And Cain is answering by saying in Genesis 4, chapter, um, Genesis chapter 4, verse 9, Am I my brother's keeper? And there's a silence after when you read the passage. And the silence is basically God saying, yes, you are. Yes, you are. This is what I'm intending for humanity to do, to be your brother's keeper, to be your sister's keeper. It's in our fabric. It's in our, it's in our nature. God has created us to be uh, nurturing relationships that we have. Yes, you are your brother's keeper. And of course, we... We remember that commandment from Jesus, love the Lord your God and love the neighbor as yourself. In Matthew 22, verse 34, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, 
which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. So comparable, parallel. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So again, we are called to have that vertical relationship with God, but it is, um, it is really the same thing as having a relationship with others. You cannot have a relationship with God and not have love for your neighbors. You cannot have a beautiful relationship with God and not seek to nurture your relationship with your brothers and sisters. It's in the fabric of creation. It's, in, it's the most important commandment that God has given us. And to be good toward over what God has entrusted us is to care for others. Now, I want to mention four particular relationships that the Bible uh, has entrusted us with. First, our relationship with the world. And I say the world, meaning this, these general relationships that we have every day of our lives. Of course, that means non-believers too, but I don't want to create categories where we are ad- identifying different categories, you know, where it's them and then it's us. No, it's just the people you will interact with on a daily basis. And I want to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, to illustrate the mission that we've been given by God when it comes to the relationship with the world. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We've been entrusted with a ministry of reconciliation, meaning that one of the primary ways we can be good steward of our relationships with the world is by encouraging the world to be reconciled with Christ. Now, you have a relationship with coworkers that I won't have. You have a relationship with students that I won't have. You have a relationship with family members that I will never have. But what God has entrusted you is this ministry of reconciliation. So, therefore, we should be seeking in every circumstance to make that appeal, whether that's through words or through our actions, through our love, through different things that we can use. But we should make that appeal. Be reconciled. With God. Second relationship that we've been entrusted is our relationship with the family of God. Now, you cannot have, again, like I said before, you cannot have a relationship with God and not have a relationship with the family of God. And the moment you've said yes to Jesus is also the moment you've said yes to God's family. And it's something that's very challenging for some people. Maybe you've been hurt by the church and maybe you've been hurt by certain brothers and sisters and you're like, I don't want to have anything to do with church, any, anything to do with my brothers and sisters. It's just going to be me and the Lord and we're going to have a great time. I'm going to read my Bible at home. I'm going to listen to podcasts and I'm going to tune in every now and then. But oh wait, I don't have to meet my brothers and sisters because just church is not that great. Well, that view is really not biblical, but it's also impossible to sustain a relationship with God acting this way because we've been given that responsibility to be 
completely immersed in the family of God, to be immersed in a church life. And you know, church is way more than a gathering on Sunday morning. Church happens on Monday, happens on Tuesday, happens on Wednesday. There's no escaping it. <laughs> and if you think you can come for an hour or so on Sunday and you've done your church thing, you've done your family of God thing, then you're mistaken about really what the church is. You know, it's a family. It's more than just a, an institution, an organization. It's about relationships with one another. Therefore, my encouragement to you is join a home group. Join a home group. If you're not part of a home group, please go to our website and find out where geographically you can uh, connect to one of the uh, groups we have in Pensacola uh, because this is a beautiful way to experience church during the week uh, with meaningful relationships, with uh, way more than discussions, but really with caring for one another, praying for one another, eating together, um, just doing life together. But we've been entrusted with the relationship with the family of God. I want to read a passage in Matthew 12. I know there's a lot of scripture reading, but again, it's about understanding what the Bible truly says about relationships and what we've been entrusted with. Matthew 12, verse 46. Matthew 12, 46. Jesus' teaching and his family is visiting him, and this is what happens. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here I am my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is expressing in this instance the powerful bond that is created by joining the family of God. Now, this passage doesn't mean that you should neglect your family for the sake of a church, not at all. It just means that the relationship that you have with the people of God, your spiritual family, can be similar and equally important as the one you have with your own blood relatives. Now, that's really hard for us to comprehend that in the West um, because we've been so used to an individualistic society where it's just always about me and God, me and God, you know, I, I, I give my life to Christ. I give my heart to Jesus. It's my, it's I. So we, we, we've not been used to this idea of um, really uh, being completely depending upon each other. And um, I remember in Paris when uh, one of my close friends had to leave her family at night uh, to, um, to join the church and she was a Muslim, and she had said no to the Muslim faith, and she was kicked out of home in Paris. It doesn't happen only in North Africa, but it happened in Paris. And, um, and uh, the pastor that I was interning with had to go get her with his car, and she was in tears. If there was no hope for her to have a, a powerful bond with the family of God, she would not have made it. She would not have made it. But for us here in the West, sometimes it's just so hard to understand that um, connecting with Jesus is just way more than connecting with Jesus. Being in the kingdom of God is just way more than adopting and, and agreeing with a set of uh, biblical beliefs. It's about joining relationships with brothers and sisters that's going to cost us, that's going to challenge us, that's going to stir us up to grow, to change the way we see the world, to change the way we behave, the way we talk, the way we love, the way we interact with one another. 
It is challenging, but it is necess- necessary to understand that. Third relationship we've been entrusted with is, of course, a family, our own family. In Ephesians, Paul is encouraging the people of God to be imitators of God, to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself, uh, gave himself up for us. We read that in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 to 2. Now, I won't go into details about what Ephesians is talking about in chapter 5 and 6. You can read it at home. But basically, Paul is breaking down that command to be imitators of God by giving specific instructions to husbands and wives and children and parents, masters and servants. Because the reality is once you interact with God, you have a responsibility to behave a certain way towards your wife, towards your husband, towards your children, towards your parents, towards your coworkers, but especially your own family. And I would say this, I think the way we interact and live with, treat our family in our home is probably the best indicator to whether or not we have understood what the gospel means. I really believe that with all my heart. Um, and that reveals so much about who we are and what we've understood of the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the patience of God, um, his character, his attributes. So we've been entrusted with that relationship with our family. Fourth relationship we've been entrusted with, and it's the one I really want to emphasize this morning because it's the one that often is neglected or skipped over. It's our relationship with the poor. The poor, the needy, the broken. Now, in the context of the teaching of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25, he will put great emphasis on that responsibility. And we read that in Matthew 25, verse 34. You can read with me that passage. Matthew 25, verse 34. Then the king, so Jesus, will say to those on his right at the end of times where we are supposed to give accounts to our lives to Jesus. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you and, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. It's such a powerful statement. I mean, and right at this time, I almost want to stop right here and take time to really let it impact me because I don't know about you, but this passage is very, very challenging. Very challenging. Because it's easier for me, and maybe it's just for me, to write a check or go online to a special humanitarian website and give 20 bucks, 100 bucks, or however, however amount you want to give than to really be engaged in a relationship with someone who is needy, who is broken, who has nothing to give me. It's way more challenging. And 
one of the primary ways we can be good steward over our relationships, the relationship that God has given us on, in this um, day and age, in this tension of a now and a not yet, is really by caring for the poor, by interacting with them, by communicating with them. And again, I, I insist on the word relationship. It's not just giving. It's not just giving money. Because for me, it's easier to give money because it frees me from the responsibility and the cost of being engaged and being challenged in my comfort zone and in what I think, what I believe, my time, what I'm willing to give out in terms of my time. But again, we can't escape the truth that Jesus is expecting us to have a relationship with people who are poor. Now, whatever that means for you personally, I don't know. I really don't know the specifics of that. But we have to answer to God regarding that passage. We have to be serious about the practice of that passage. Now, that could, that could mean really spending time with someone. Uh, it can, that could mean inviting someone who is really poor and needy into your home. And again, like, the definition of poor may have different meaning for different people. Um, most of us in this room are really, really, really wealthy. Um, we probably live in the top wealthiest 1% um, in the world. It's hard to believe, but if you haven't traveled to other country, um, you, will, you will have maybe a hard time to realizing that. But the moment you travel to the Middle East and certain countries uh, in the world, you will quickly realize, man, I am so wealthy. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, it has to touch us. It has to touch us deeply. I remember um, in Paris, uh, we have that, um, that tangible need that's present to, in front of our eyes every single day with so many people who are, are without homes and laying on the streets. And, and if you've been to Paris, you've probably seen that, but you've got literally like dozens and dozens of people laying on the sidewalk. And you see people busy in fancy streets of Paris walking over them, going about their lives. And, and I remember one day just stopping to really con contemplate that scene, I'm thinking to myself, this is so not right. And um, I, I really bent down to talk to someone who, who was with at home and just was waiting for someone to talk to him. And the person was nice, and I had a great talk with him. And I realized that day all that he needed was just not money. He was just really human interactions, love and just care, uh, a listening ear. And sometimes that's just the best gift we can give to someone but that's cost us more than giving money. The reality is that it costs us more because we have to give of our time. And I know that Pastor Brian is probably going to touch on that next week. But um, again, we need to be good stewards of our, our relationship with the poor. Now, I want to finish by giving three practical um, things that we can take out from this parable uh, when it comes to stewardship over relationships. Three ways three practices you can have this week. Even when you leave this room, you can already put it into practice. First practice, be present. Be present, ministry of presence. Now, in a digital age, it's way easier for us to reach to our phones, to send a text, to give a call, to send an email, to send a Facebook message, than it is to actually spend time physically with someone to be present without any distractions to hear what's going on in the person's life. And um, of course, it requires time. It requires um, removing distractions. Sometimes coffee shops are not the best place for that. Uh, and, and all the coffee shops have their own distractions, all of them beside the Rex Cafe, of course. <laughs> but 
the, the point is, you need to know and I need to know what I can do in my life to be able to carve out time to be physically present with someone, to be able to look at the person in the eyes and, and ask them, tell me more about what's going on. Tell me more about you. I want to know what's really going on. And uh, we've lost that art in this day and age, but I want to encourage you to do that. Maybe that practice will mean this week choosing a time where you're going to take a walk in the park with someone because in the park you won't have uh, the distractions of you know walking. It's going to be hard to talk to someone while you're looking at your phone. But putting the phone in your pocket away and taking a walk in the park, uh, admiring b- beautiful God's creation and listening to the person, being present. There's just something beautiful about being just present to hear, to feel, to sense uh, what God is doing in my brother's life, in my sister's life. Second practice, talk to strangers. Challenge you this week, pick a time, pick a challenge where you're in line at a, at a supermarket or at a bank or somewhere in a public setting and you see a stranger that's very different than you, very, very different. Why don't you choose to step out of your comfort zone and initiate a conversation? Um, I do that a lot when I work at the Rex Cafe, which is really a cool ministry that we have where I'm able to interact with a lot of customers who think differently behave differently, dress differently, come from different socioeconomic classes and, and all that. And I love it. It's really challenging sometimes, but it's a great practice to help us uh, to be engaged with people who will really challenge us to love. Because loving is loving when it costs us too. And I've noticed uh, as a French person who moved to America recently that there's, um, especially in the South, uh, kind of a Christian subculture where you see people interacting with the people who have the same kind of job, kind of same salary, dress the same way, go to the same places, support the same sport team. And I think that there's just something about the Bible challenging us to go way beyond that, to cross all the cultural differences, to be really loving and engage with our brothers and sisters. So talk to strangers, be challenged, initiate a conversation, Accept uh, what God is putting in front of you. Third practice, practice hospitality. I don't care how big your home is, you can practice hospitality today. And it's so funny, uh, since my wife and I, we moved here to America, how we've interacted with so many people who feel like their home is not big enough or doesn't have the right setting to be receiving someone in their homes. Um, for <laughs> we're working with a realtor right now because we're trying to buy a home and so sometimes we step into houses and we're like, oh my gosh, this is so big. And our realtor is like, really? This is so small for your family. There's just such a, <laughs> a different expectation of what big means here. But you can be a student at a campus and practice hospitality. Uh, when I was in Paris, I would visit um, uh, Mexican students every week and we would eat together very often and they literally had just a bedroom, and we would just be four or five of us in a bedroom eating together, on the, sitting on their bed. I'm like sitting on their bed, eating food, talking about the gospel. Uh, but it's, it's hospitality. So it's all about the intention. It's all about the heart. And uh, my wife and I live in a 700-square-feet house right now with three kids, so you can imagine the chaos, the chaos. But we still managed to make room to have people at our table. It's tiny, but we, we made it. And I really believe you can make it too. Uh, but it's about really being challenged by the Lord to uh, practice hospitality because this is what Jesus practiced. 
to show love for the poor, the needy, uh, to his brothers and sisters. It's such a beautiful ministry, and it's not reserved only for people who are extrovert, extroverted, you know. All the introverts right now, as, as I'm talking about hospitality, they're like, oh my gosh, no, <laughs> no, please. And all the extroverts are like, yeah, bring it on. My wife is an extrovert, I'm an introvert, and so she challenges me way more uh, about uh, really being hospitable, and I love that because that's a really good team, teamwork there. Uh, but there's, there's something that we can't escape. If we're really believers and we know Jesus, sooner or later we have to be engaged in that practice, whether that's a, a meal at the table, whether that's just inviting people for coffee with cookies. Uh, but you know what? Meal will break all the barriers. Meal at a table will break all the ice that you can imagine in a world where you will be connecting deeply with a person at your table. So let's, let's do that together, right? There's a great book that I want to recommend to you that I've read during COVID-19 that rocked my world. It's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key, right? Yes. The Gospel Comes with a House Key. There you go. Uh, by Rosaria Butterfield incredible stories that you will read throughout the, the, the pages. She uh, befriended a guy that's right in front of her house. His name was uh, Tank, and uh, she started walking the, go- the dog uh, together with him, and they became great friends, had him many, many times over at their table, and they found out one day when the police showed up that he had a meth lab in his house. <laughs> But it's really so beautiful the way she was able to love on him and love on so many neighbors. Really crazy, beautiful stories in there. So I highly recommend it to you. It will challenge you. But um, I want to end this sermon, um, and I'm going to ask the, uh, the band to come back up. So wherever you are in, in your walk with Jesus and in your stewardship over certain relationships that you've been given, I think the real challenge starts with a relationship with God, you know, and maybe you have a hard time loving on people because your relationship with God needs to be cared for, and I want to encourage you to start by your relationship with God. Enter the joy of the master. Know the master because that's going to be the first starting point. Yes, you are called to love and difficult people to love, but if you don't start by feeling loved and and welcoming the love of the Father, it's going to be way more challenging So let me encourage you to respond to his love. Now, you may have relationships in your life that are really hard right now. Maybe you've been hurt by someone and you're having a hard time to forgive and you haven't talked to your brothers since ages because you know it's going to really stir things up in your heart that are not pretty. Let me encourage you. um, Just come back to the cross. Just come back to the master. Come back to Jesus. Come back to this safe place, the family of God, where you can receive forgiveness, where you can join the table without being judged, without being uh, looked upon with weird eyes. Just come back to the table. Come back to the house of the Lord, meaning way more than just this building, but the fellowship of the saints. Come and join a, a G group. Get into a relationship with a brother and sister that you can be accountable with so that we can pray with you, so that we can walk this journey with you because we're not called to do it alone. Are you wanting to experience the joy of the master? I want to. I really want to do it. Let's close our eyes and let's just pray. Father, we thank you for 
what you're teaching us for your word this morning. I thank you so much for the parable of the talents. But Father, my brothers, my sisters, and I, we've received relationships that are unique and that uh, we can be uh, good stewards over. And I pray that you would help us by your spirit to be caring, to be challenged, to love beyond what we see, to love beyond the difficulties, to love beyond the hurt, to love beyond the bitterness. Father, fill us up with your love. Give us your eyes so that we will see the world the way you see it, so that we will enter the ministry of reconciliation. I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together. Thanks for hanging out with us at Generation. You can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at Generation Pensacola or go to the website at generationpensacola.com and from wherever you download your podcasts. If today's teaching impacted you, we'd love to hear about it. So please drop us a note.